One. This morning we are looking at part two of a four-part series based upon Jesus' words in John 10.10 where he says that he has come that we might experience rich and satisfying life. And I know that there's each and every one of you here today that wants to experience that. I trust that that's your prayer. But that rich and satisfying life comes from being obedient to God, to his word. And so we'll listen to what he has to say and just pray that the Holy Spirit will make it real to you this morning and challenge your hearts. My part of this four-week sermon uh, series is to speak to you about investing who you are, what you have in the lives of others. We call it discipleship. And uh, in Matthew 28, 18, 20 is my text for this morning. And that is where Jesus is standing on the crest of the hill and, and speaking to his disciples for the last time before he leaves for heaven. And he says to them, uh, all authority, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and I'll be with you always. Now, in order for me to help you understand this process of discipling, I want to take you back to the book of Genesis, to beginnings, where God gives the first command to Adam and Eve that they are to be fruitful and to multiply and to repopulate the earth. Now, of course, you understand that God didn't intend for Adam and Eve to populate the whole earth. There's a a principle involved here of reproduction. I said to the early service I wanted to entitle my sermon about the birds and the bees, but I didn't want to offend anyone. So, But it is about reproduction. And uh, this is why we're able to trace our ancestry back to Adam and Eve. Uh, you remember the begats of the Bible? Adam and Eve begat Cain and Abel, who begat somebody else, who begat somebody else, and it carries through. But unfortunately... Uh, Adam and Eve didn't leave us a great spiritual heritage. And that's because it was through them that sin came into the world. And um, because of that separation from God, so that those that came after them did not have the relationship with God that he wanted them to have. And so all the way through the Old Testament, we see God's chosen people, the Israelites, um, making animal sacrifices, sacrificing a lamb or a, a goat or a, a dove uh, to atone for their sins. But God had a, a more perfect way, and he promised them that there would come a day when he would send a Messiah, the Savior, who would come and restore that relationship once again so that they could once again walk in relationship with their Father in heaven. And so... We find in Matthew, the beginning of Matthew, that wonderful verse. And I love this verse because it shows God's timing is always perfect. And he has a plan for everything. And he, we read that it says that when the fullness of time was coming, God's timing, when the right time came, God sent forth his son. His name was Jesus, and he would save his people from their sins. Now, when Jesus began his earthly ministry around the age of 30, He gathered to himself 12 very ordinary people. And that always gives me great comfort that God has chosen to work 
out his plan in this world through just ordinary people like you and like me. You would have expected that he would have chosen, perhaps gone to the Pharisees, the, those that were very learned, learned in the law and the scriptures and who did everything they could to let everybody know how they kept the law and, and how perfect they were in their walk with God. Or perhaps the rich and famous of the time, or kings, or princes. But Jesus went to ordinary people, these 12 ordinary men. They were in the ordinary walk of life. Some were, a lot of them were fishermen. One was a tax collector. And he chose them to invest his life into them for the three years that he was going to walk on the earth. And these 12 ordinary men ended up turning their world upside down for him. Now, we sometimes refer to Jesus as the second Adam. And that's because where Adam brought spiritual death upon this planet, Jesus came to bring spiritual life. And that believing in him, we might not perish, but have everlasting life. And so uh, Jesus has come, and we read in the scriptures the term born again. And that's that's exactly, sometimes we get away from some of the old uh, names in this, that are used in the scripture. But the thing is, we have to understand this is exactly what takes place. This new birth, being born again by the spirit of God. Born once in the flesh and separated from God, and now born again uh, by the Spirit of God. It's a mystery, but the way that we are able to be connected once again to God and walk in relationship to him. And Jesus walked on this earth, and this process of making disciples, we look at, at his life and what he did so that we understand how to be involved in this process. And he did it by his words. He taught them. Uh, read the Sermon on the Mount, great practical instruction for how to live or the parables that he used he he taught these uh, ordinary people in ordinary language with ordinary uh, examples that they would understand and and by that way taught them great spiritual truths they witnessed what gave him joy when he said let the little children come to me don't don't stop them for such is the kingdom of heaven and brought out great spiritual truth in that for each and every one of us that we in our, in our simple faith need to come to him and just turn our lives over to him. They saw what made him angry. The religious people made him angry. The ones who were so puffed up in their own sense of, of righteousness. And we find that he was angry when the temple, which was to be a house of prayer, was turned into uh, what he referred to as a den of thieves. And he overturned tables. And they witnessed all of this in their daily walk with him, the kinds of things that that made him upset and the kinds of things that gave him joy. They saw his miracles. They saw when he calmed the storm and, and the power that he had, that they exclaimed, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They saw the compassion when he healed the sick and raised the dead, such great power, and, and when he walked on water. They received praise and encouragement from him. And they received words of correction and sometimes rebuke. They experienced fear and confusion as they fled the scene of the crucifixion, not really understanding what was happening, but were elated on the third day when 
The angels announced at his tomb, he's not here, for he's risen, as he said. And now here they were, up on this hilltop, receiving his final words, his final instruction. And he says to them, go and make disciples. The corresponding verse in, in Mark sixteen fifteen says, go and preach the gospel to every creature. Because discipling is a two-fold process. It involves making sure that people receive the gospel, that they have opportunity to hear the good news that Jesus came to save them and to, to has taken his, our sins upon himself and that we might have eternal life with him and a relationship here with him. And it involves discipling those people to the extent of building them up in the faith, being there to help them along, just as you as a parent would have your children and and you don't see that they're born and then just leave them. We hear about things in third world countries in, in some of the orphanages there where, where children are taken in, babies are taken in, and they're they're fed and they're cleaned, but they die because there's no love, no touching, no no you know, helping them along in, in loving ways. And in the same manner, we have to watch that we're not uh, seeing people and being thrilled to, that they've accepted Christ and then leaving it at that and not understanding that it now takes a great deal of time to invest in them as they grow in their relationship with Christ, that it's important and, and it's God's purpose that we should be involved in that process, that we should lovingly be helping these people, lo- allowing them to see our lives, our manner of living and I had a lady who said to me one time that she didn't want her young people to look at her. She wanted them to look at Jesus. And I said, that's all very well. But the truth of the matter is that young people learn to follow the Lord by following the Lord's people, whether we like it or not. And therefore, when we have that responsibility, we need to understand the need for each and every one of us to make sure that our walk with God is what it should be. This reproductive system goes right back to creation when God said that everything should be produced after its kind. And that's why ducks have ducklings and dogs have puppies and apple trees bring forth apples and people bring forth people. And now in this new order where Jesus has come and he has given us the opportunity to have new spiritual life, then we are to reproduce after that kind, that we are to now, we have the responsibility to reproduce other spiritual people. And I'm sure the disciples on the hillside that morning were, were overwhelmed at the task that they were to uh, disciple, be responsible for this discipling of go to the whole world. And, of course, that just meant through this same spiritual reproduction system whereby they would bring the message and it would come to us today. And as they would be overwhelmed and think of the, the, the absolute, you know, horrendous res, uh, responsibility that would be involved in that, like, who am I? Somewhat like some of you think when you think of maybe witnessing to someone, oh, I can't do something like that. But in that verse of scripture in Matthew 28, 19 and her 18 to 20, where Jesus says about go and make disciples, first he says in assuring them, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. What's he saying? He's saying, this isn't going to be in your strength. This isn't going to be in any power you have of yourself. But this is that you are to go and make disciples because I am going to be there to help you, even unto the end of the age. So it didn't mean just use 12 disciples or 11. It meant from now on until the end of the age that I'm going to be there with you 
and I've got all power and authority, and that power and authority is available to you through the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And as such, you are responsible, people. I am responsible for carrying out this command that he gave to his disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the responsibility of becoming a spiritual parent, of witnessing to someone and seeing whether through you or through a proxy of somebody else, because the Bible says that one one plants and one waters, but God gives the increase, and sometimes he'll allow you to bring somebody to the Lord and then get them into a church if you can, perhaps if you're close to them you'll be involved more in the process of discipling but sometimes other people are going to come in and and they're going to be part of that discipling process and so it's a privilege and a responsibility of getting involved in this plan of multiplication producing producers you might think that that's a job of the pastor actually is not what we pay him for but of course he or she has a role in that process, but it really is not God's plan that just certain people should be involved in, in making sure that people hear about Jesus. He wants that we should become involved so that they grow in spiritual maturity and they in turn can witness to others of the grace of God and, and the wonderful message of salvation. If we want to look at others in the scripture, we can see the example of the Apostle Paul uh, I've been a student for as long as I can remember of the Navigators. The Navigators is a, an organization that some of you may be familiar with. They're very big on discipleship. And uh, I have read their books and I've studied their material. And throughout my lifetime, I have endeavored to follow uh, what they also have to say about discipling in very practical ways. They talk about the Timothy Principle. And that Timothy principle is, as we look at the life of the great apostle Paul, he would take a young man like Timothy and invest his life into Timothy. And uh, he refers to him in wonderful passages of scripture. He refers to him as my beloved son in the faith. He was like a father, a spiritual father to this young man. And he allowed this young man to see him in his up times and in his down times. And encouraged him and, and exhorted and re- rebuked him if necessary, but gave him opportunities to grow in Christ and to lead others. And so Timothy became a person in his own right who would then turn around and be responsible for producing other Christians and other disciples. I hope that when I die the defining characteristic of my life will be that I invested my time, my talents such as they are. I got shortchanged in that, I felt. My money, well, I won't even go there. But whatever I have, whoever I am, that I have tried to put those before the Lord and say, Lord, use me in whatever way you can. And uh, I want you to know that where I confess that I have not done my part in populating the earth, I have done whatever I could to make sure that I'm populating heaven. And that goes for each and every one of you. That's our calling on our lives. I'm thankful for the people that God has put in my life who invested in me. And so this is a bit of a testimony this morning. Um... 
I grew up in a broken home, and I lived with my grandparents and my mother. And uh, God has given me a wonderful heritage. They taught me by their daily living, not by just what they said, but how I saw them live out from day to day. They taught me a love for God by their love for God, their trust in the power of prayer, their amazing servant hearts. My grandmother taught me about missions, not by anything she said, but just as I watched her life. She was convener of the foreign missions department at our church. We didn't have a car, and she would take me with her on the bus, and we would go downtown, and she would shop for parcels and for missionaries. And this day and age, it, it doesn't pay to send parcels and so on normally because of costs involved. But in those days, she would buy... She had lists of all the ages of the missionaries and their children, and she had lists of, of you know, what was the need, the main need for where they were. And she would go down and we would buy all this stuff and then take it down to the church. And she had some people working with her. And they would pack these parcels and lovingly send them to missionaries in foreign fields. She would get letters and I would read them from these different missionaries thanking us for us being the church, for remembering them on those far-off fields where it can be very lonely and sending gifts that would arrive in time for Christmas or birthdays. And I learned that, and that's why I guess boot camp is going on over at the community center this morning. And one of the things that my oldest group of kids is going to be doing this year is that they're going to be learning about missionaries. Already they've been starting to read books that are on an assigned list that they can choose. Names that most of you have probably never heard of, like Amy Carmichael or Mary Slessor. Uh, heroes of the faith from way back when. I have to tell you, when I read some of their stories, I wondered if I was even saved. I mean, when I see how they laid down their lives for the cause of Christ and what they gave, it made me look and think, well, I better rethink this for what I'm doing. But God had put a calling and an enabling on their lives, and so I can see the influences that have been on my life that would cause me to put this in front of the kids and say, okay, you need to learn about some of these people. You need to see about the sacrifices they made over the years. They're going to be writing to missionary children. They're going to be involved in project to raise some funds for missionaries. And uh, they're going to do maps of where our mission fields are in the world just so that they have a little bit more than just an internal insight of what happens right here and now where we are. And they see that there's people all across this world that are are giving their lives for Christ and discipling others. These were the things that I was taught. I had a pastor who all of my growing up years was steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, never allowed him to to jump himself to jump on the latest church bandwagons of fads that were going on, preached the gospel consistently. And week by week, I saw people come to Christ as a result of his passion for souls. And they lined the altars of the church. He saw things in me that I didn't see in myself. 
you know, things I never thought I could do and assigned me to them. And I loved and I respected him and still love and respect him. I had a mentor, a lady about 10 years my senior, still a friend today, to whom I could go and talk to about anything in my spiritual walk. She was an encourager. And she was a kind of person who had no problem in correcting me if she thought that I needed to be corrected. All of these people in my life lifted up Christ in front of me. And because of them, I grew in my walk with him. There's a verse of scripture that was pivotal in my growing years. And I just want to tell you the story surrounding it. I was a very young leader of a girl's teenage program of teenage girls. Each year in the fall, we would try to get out to Calvary Temple's youth camp at Red Rock Lake. In my planning, I tried to arrange for one of the pastors at the church to come down and take the Saturday night chapel service. It was always a powerful evening on the Saturday night, and uh, and I tried to get a pastor to do it, and there was no pastor available. It was a busy time, of course, in the fall with church programs starting up. And if I remember, there was a new Christian ed person I tried to get, and just he was trying to feel his way into all the ministries of the church and so on, and he just wasn't available. And as I prayed about it, I felt that this was something that I should do. And that shocked me because I wasn't the kind of person that would think that I could do that. But I did feel this urging, and I went down to one of the beaches on Lake Winnipeg that I was apt to do when I needed to think or pray. It was the fall, so all the vacationers had long vacated the the beaches, the busy beaches. And so I walked along the beach and I prayed. And God gave me a most wonderful message. I couldn't believe that he would give me this wonderful, great analogy that I thought nobody else had ever thought of until later, and I found it in every object lesson book that there was. But nevertheless, God knew I wasn't going to read that book then, and he gave it to me. And I was so excited. I studied and I prepared and two days before I was to go down to the, we take the kids down to the camp, the person who was the head of the group, I was in the teenage group and there was somebody over the whole program, contacted me to see how things were going for the weekend. And I said, everything was going fine. You know, everything seemed to be in place, transportation, food and so on. And she said, who's taking the Saturday evening service? And I said, well, you know what? I couldn't get any of the pastors to do it, so I'm doing it. And she was so upset. She was so angry with me. And she said that that wasn't how it was supposed to be. There should be a pastor there. And fortunately, God didn't know that, and neither did I. And so I was prepared to be going. But when I got off the phone as a young person, I was so crushed in my spirit. I thought that this was so right and that this was what God wanted me to do, and he gave me this message. How could this not be? And it's, we're going in a couple of days. How can I cancel it now? And I can't get anybody else. All these things were flooding through my mind. And as I lay there and I wept, and I said, God, what am I going to do? And I want to just interject here that I'm a great believer in kids and adults memorizing Scripture. Our boot camp kids memorize Scripture every week, and they've got other things they have to memorize 
And I encourage those of you, if you're parents and you have kids in Sunday school or in boot camp here, that you encourage your young people to do the memorizing assigned. Don't let them leave it till on the church, on the road to church Sunday morning and they're just trying to sneak, get it in quickly so they can say it the minute they walk in the door. Work with them on it during the week. See what they're learning. See what verse they're going to learn. And they'll have like 30 of those verses throughout the course of the year, plus other things they're going to be memorizing. Encourage them. And I've had parents say to me, what's the use? I nag them and nag them, and then the next day they forget the verse anyway. Well, understand this, that when they take this in, that in the future God has the opportunity to bring that to their remembrance at a time when it's needed. And I don't ever remember learning this verse. It doesn't even look like a verse I would have had to memorize as a young person. But as I lay across my bed and I cried out to God, what am I going to do? There's nobody that can, I can get to take the service. God gave me a verse of scripture that is found in John 15. And it says this, that you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that that fruit should remain. And I knew that word ordained just practically blew up in my mind when I heard it because that was the word that we would use to uh, when pastors got their paper to act as pastors, to do the job of a pastor. And the very fact to think that I didn't have papers from a denomination, but that God himself was confirming to me there and then that he had ordained me and not just ordained me to go, but that I would bring forth fruit. That was my mandate. And another promise that that fruit would remain. And I can tell you that kids that were at that weekend, that, that those services are still serving God today. Many of them, the ones that I've managed to keep touch with, they are. And so God is faithful and that was a just a changing time in my life and in that I could walk in confidence knowing that God was there with me, just like the disciples could when they heard those final words and Jesus saying, all power is given to me. This isn't about me. This is about the power that God has to change lives and that he's with us always. And so I, I encourage you, I encourage you to um, encourage your children to, because you're discipling them. And you want to be careful about how you disciple them. Because I had one young lady say to me one time, their parents were people that I knew from the church, involved in things in the church. And she said to me one day, very seriously, Marilyn, my parents bring me to church, but God doesn't live in our house. What a commentary of how people will sometimes do what they're supposed to when they come to church. And you look at them and you think everything is just fine with you know their spiritual self but when when things are outside the church what are their what are your kids hearing what are they observing that's discipling when your children not only hear what you say but see what you do and how you will influence them like that what are the things that are important in your life as you disciple your children what are they going to learn as they grow up is important in their lives they need to be knowing so that you can have spiritual grandchildren so that as you are, are teaching them and they're going and growing up to be a productor, producers in their churches and in, in their lives, that you will be able to say, as I can, without any reservation. And as the Apostle John said, as recorded in John 3, verse 4, that I have great joy in knowing that my children walk in truth. 
And that's what we all want to be able to say as we get involved in this discipling process. And I could tell you story after story after story of of young people that God has put in my path, people that God has put in my path, that he's given me the opportunity to share Christ with them. And I don't tell you this to bring any kind of glory to me. This isn't even who I am. But this is a word of testimony this morning that if I'm coming before you and saying if you want to have a life that God can give you that is rich and satisfying, that I've experienced that and I am experiencing that. It's my great joy to serve Jesus. My great joy to be able to have a word with people about Christ. And you say, but I'm, I'm just not there. I find it too hard. I'm going to tell you something, people, that God will not call you to do something that he won't equip you to do. And if you are looking for opportunities to witness to someone, whether in your family or in your workplace or, or a friend, make sure you have a good relationship with them. Make sure that you're, you've established a relationship. That's one of the, the best ways is one-on-one like that. And as you do that, that you're able to witness to them, they'll probably be the ones that open the door. I found that in my life. People will say, well, I understand that you go to the church or you're doing this. Um, I wasn't brought up in a church. Sometimes I'll say to them, what's your faith journey? Will you share it with me? And then after they finish, I'll say, would it be okay if I share my faith journey with you? And then I'm able to tell them and it's not in a threatening way at all. And so I encourage you this morning to get involved in this, this process of producing producers where you get to have this wonderful opportunity to tell people about Jesus and then to help them to grow in him. One more thing before I close this morning, I want to share with you something that I think really sets out this whole idea of spiritual reproduction. A Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball. How many of you have heard of him? Probably not many, but some. Edward Kimball... In 1858, I didn't know him personally, by the way, but he, he led a 16-year-old boy to Christ. His name was Dwight L. Moody, D.L. Moody, that some of you have heard of, great evangelist. Became a great evangelist in the United States and then over in England. And he was speaking, and in his one of his services was a guy by the name of F.B. Meyer, And he was the pastor of a small church at that time. F.B. Meyer was preaching on an American college campus and brought to Christ a student named J. Wilbur Chapman. Chapman was involved in YMCA work. And he employed with him a former baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday to do the evangelistic work. Billy Sunday held a revival meeting in Charlotte, North Carolina. And they brought, they wanted, the guys in the area wanted to have another of these campaigns, so they brought a fellow by the name of Mordecai Ham to town to preach. During Ham's revival, a young man wanted to bring his friends to hear about Christ. And so he loaded them up in his pickup truck and and brought them to these tent meetings. But one of the guys didn't want to come, and so he offered to let him drive his pickup truck and bring the kids to the meetings. And so that 
got the attention of this 16-year-old, and he thought, yes, I'd like to do that. So he drove the pickup truck. It was a real thrill for him, and he brought all these kids, and he went to the service himself. And during that revival service, this young man by the name of Billy Graham went down, gave his life to Christ. Now, you may not have heard of any of these other ones that I've mentioned, but started with a Sunday school teacher being faithful in giving the word to one of his kids. And in the process, Billy Graham now has spoken to more people about Christ than anybody before him. He's been on the, his face been on the front page of every news magazine that exists. He's been honored in more ways that you could imagine. He's been counselor to presidents. And all because of this multiplication process, this Timothy principle, where people are, are faithful in giving the word and just doing what God asks them to do. And now Billy Graham is not well, and he's passed the reins of the Billy Graham Association over to his son Franklin. And Franklin was here doing a festival a couple years ago. Many of you may have been there. Who knows? Some of you must might have been saved there, giving your heart to Jesus. But Franklin wears two hats, and he is also head of Samaritan's Purse, which sponsors Operation Christmas Child which you heard Mark talking about the boxes that are out in the foyer. And Operation Christmas Child asks people to take these boxes and fill them with things for kids in third world countries. And then they put with it a little pamphlet or something which explains salvation. And so you never know when you take one of these boxes where it's going to go and how God will use it in the heart. You probably thought, well, it's nice. It's a nice thing to do. I'm going to let some kid have a happy Christmas by having some trinkets and so on. But the truth of the matter is I don't think Franklin Graham would be doing it just for that. I believe he's doing it because it's another way that he's able to get the word out to these people about Jesus. And only eternity is going to tell the results of who opened those and who saw these, what families did, and what What happened as a result of that? The possibilities are endless when your life is in Christ and you're investing what you have in him. And so I challenge you this morning that you would get involved in this process of reproduction, spiritually speaking, that you would understand that this is your mandate. This is not for just a pastor or an elder. This is for you, the ordinary people that sit here today. And I can testify that I have no special gifts or anything else, but that what I've given to Christ and he has used in very simple ways many times in order to uh, touch other lives. And I've had that privilege. And so I encourage you this morning to um, talk to the Lord about it. Tell him that you want to be part of this um, process of discipling that you want to be faithful in telling others about Jesus and he'll give you the opportunities and and he'll give you the strength to do it Barry would you come back with your team this morning I have with me a little pamphlet here called steps to peace with God this is my favorite I'm not the kind of person who drops tracks not that there's anything wrong with it but drops tracks on bus stops or things like this 
but I carry one of these around with me always. And the reason is because it sets out so clearly the plan of salvation and helps people to understand. There's a, a diagram in here. And I used to, I can remember sitting at, in a restaurant with someone and drawing this because I didn't have one of these, drawing this for somebody so they would understand the way of salvation. I believe that it's just done so easily in here. And I have a supply of these this morning. And so I want to help you and encourage you. If you take one of these, it will help you. If you never want to use a track, it will help you in knowing a way that you can talk to somebody about Jesus. And and you could give it out to somebody if you needed to, if you wanted them to explain what you believe. And it's got an invitation and a prayer on here that they can pray. I'm going to be down here along with some who, if you want prayer this morning, they'll pray with you. But I'm going to be down here with some of these uh, steps to peace with God. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, take one of these because it will tell you how you can do that. And if you have accepted Christ and you want to be involved, but you're not quite sure how to do this in this process of, of reproduction and multiplication of, of yourself spiritually, take one of these. And use it when you get opportunity to do so. And God will bless you because of it.